Thank you, Carol, for that introduction. And I want to just add, you know, you there are a few pilots here, I know, this morning, some of the EAA crowd. Uh, Adventist World Aviation has a booth out at the, the place, and we're there along with the other mission organizations as a member of the board of uh, Adventist World Aviation. I bring you the greetings and just second what what Carol has said about that Kodiak. The reason I'm also here is because I'm connected to Quiet Hour Ministries and we also are raising money for airplanes. In fact, uh, we've been uh, working on raising money for a Kodiak and one of the Kodiaks that we have helped to support the first Adventist Kodiak arrived in Irian Jaya this week. Last, uh, just a week ago right now, I was uh, at the Santa Maria Airport with Bob Roberts. He had started his journey from Kansas. He had the tanks in it. He has two large tanks behind the, the two front seats and another third tank behind that. And he had enough fuel to travel some many hours. And he tested everything. He flew the airplane across the the state across the country, halfway across the country, nonstop, and everything worked. And he decided it was okay to head for Hawaii. So he took off just after midnight a week ago, Saturday night, and arrived in Kona, Hawaii, 15 hours later. He wrote me a note and said, I don't think I want to do this for a living. I like my sleep too well. Long time. He stayed there in in Kona for a couple of days, and then he took off to Marshall Islands to Majuro, and that was only about 14 hours. So that was a much shorter trip. And then it was one more leg into Irian Jaya where he landed. He was on touch with the radio, has the HF radio especially equipped for mission service. And so by the time he landed, there was a welcome crowd and uh, officials and a party because this is a dream realized of six long years of working to raise money, to get money, to arrange the transportation, to do all the things that are necessary. So this is our first Adventist Kodiak that is now in service or will be shortly uh, in Irian Jaya. We can praise the Lord for that. Adventist World Aviation is raising money for one which we haven't exactly decided for sure where it will be used, but right now we have planes in Philippines and Guyana and Alaska and a few other places around here and there. And so we will definitely appreciate uh, your serious consideration for supporting that Kodiak that's coming online. Now, in the back I said, I guess you're taking it up another offering at the end of the service, that must be because the first one wasn't enough, or what? Well, no, that may be the case. But I think now I understand the, the offering at the end of the service is specifically to help with the aviation program. So, yes, indeed, Carol is right that, that I do love flying, and I love airplanes and all the rest. But as I was doing a little interview yesterday or day before, I reminded my listeners that the airplane is just a tool. You know, as much as we love airplanes, those of us who are pilots, the airplane is just a tool. It is a tool to share God's saving grace 
with people that couldn't otherwise be reached. According to our records, there are 800 million people in the world who will primarily be unreachable except by aircraft. And with the, the moving of population groups, there, is, there are estimates that it will probably be closer to a billion by the next 15 or 20 years, if the Lord doesn't come first. So airplanes are still needed. And this Kodiak is really, truly a, a wonderful airplane to give you a little idea uh, the size. I'm around six feet tall, and I can stand under the tail easily with two or three inches to spare. You can stand under the horizontal the elevator surfaces with six feet. So that just gives you a little idea. You know, There are many airplanes that we would normally operate. You might even have to duck a little bit to be under the main wing, but the main wing is quite a lot higher than, than I am. So this morning, Carol also mentioned that uh, I have had an interest in in uh, working with Muslims for a long time. 25 years of working in places where I have many, many Muslim friends. And so this afternoon I'm going to talk a little bit about how we can be neighbors with Muslims. But this morning I, I want to talk to you about one of my friends that we can find in the Bible who just happens to have lived over there in the Middle East somewhere it's a little hard to tell exactly where he came from. Maybe Oman, maybe in that general area of the, of the world. His name is Job. And you already heard the scripture this morning, so I guess you probably got a, a little idea of that. Job is an interesting character, as you know. He is the one who had everything, one moment, practically, and just in a few short hours, few short days, he almost had nothing. He just lost almost everything that was valuable to him. He lost his, his wealth. He lost his family. He lost his children. He lost uh, the animals. He lost everything that made him wealthy. In just a few short hours, he went from being rich and blessed and, and everything going well to everything going about as badly as you can imagine that it could, where he lost everything. And we know the story well, how suddenly life was just no fun for him anymore. He even had the things we call canker sores, boils, all over his body. He was so miserable that he, he just had hardly see a reason to even live. He was so un, uncomfortable and unhappy and miserable. And yet, what I, what I just love about Job is that in spite of all of these things happening, what did he do? Did he curse God? No. He just kept on saying, Lord, I don't know what's happening. I don't know how to take this. I don't know how to understand it. But I still trust you. That's what he did, isn't it? He still trusted God. He had had lots of friends. And then, you know, I saw the poster one time that said, with, with friends like yours, you don't need any enemies. Well, it's almost like that for Job. You know, he had all these friends around him who were coming there and they were supposed to be comforting him and helping him and helping him get through this thing and being there by him and, and what did they do? They started telling him, well Job you just need to repent. You need to get your life in order. You, you must have done something wrong. God's punishing you here. Terrible theology but uh, it was what they were trying to tell him 
Now, we wouldn't know a lot of things about the great controversy and some of the -the behind-the-scenes things if it were not for the book of Job. I'm glad for the book of Job. It's there, and it's a very helpful book, for sure. We can learn things, and what is especially interesting is that the book of Job came from that Middle East area, and it came into the Bible because of a very unfortunate put that in quotes, thing that happened to Moses. Remember Moses tried to deliver Israel single-handedly from the, from the bondage in Egypt by killing a man, and that backfired, and he ended up having to run away, and he ran way off to the east where Job's family lived, where, where, the, where the family of Job, and the story of Job, at least, had come from. And so it was that Moses then learned of the story of Job from his father-in-law, Jethro. And it would be, without that experience, we might not have Job, and we might not have some of the information that we've got in the background. Well, what I especially like about Job is, you know, there are many things, but Job 14 kind of jumped out at me one day as maybe this is possibly the centerpiece of the whole book. Now, Job 14, he's talking about how frail humanity is. He's talking about how short life is, how life is full of trouble. We blossom like a flower and then we wither. We're like a passing shadow. We quickly disappear. And then he kind of asks this question, well, do you trust such a person, such a frail creature? And then he asks something like this. He says, well, who can bring something clean out of something that is unclean? an impure person. He says, nobody. In other words, Job has just made the case that he even mentioned something about by the, as soon as you're born, you're already in trouble. Well, that's kind of true, isn't it? But it's also kind of sad that the moment we're born, we're already in trouble. You know, somebody asked the question, um, how long does it take to die? Guess what? It takes about 80 years or 90 years, or however long you manage to keep from dying. Because we start dying the moment we're born. The moment we start to live, we start dying. We, we're getting older, and, and, we, and I, we can all testify to feeling a few more uh, kinks and aches and pains the older we get. It's just the way it is. Well, Job understood that, and he said, uh, that's the way it is. And yet, this passage that we've read today just seems to jump out to me and I, I'm going to just read it in a, in a different version this morning, but it's, I think you'll get the point. It says, even a tree has more hope. Now, remember, he's been talking about the no hope for the person. People are just hopeless. Nothing happening. If they're, they're starting to die as soon as they're born. They're in trouble before they even start. They're like a shadow. They're like grass. They're just gone. And then he says, even a tree has more hope. If it is cut down, it will sprout again and grow new branches. Though its roots have grown grown old in the earth and its stump decays, here's the verse, at the scent of water, it will bud and sprout again like a new seedling. At the what? The scent of water. You know, when you fly airplanes... You want to have the scent of fuel, ab gas or kerosene. 
And uh, sometimes that smell, you, you kind of don't like to have to smell it. And yet, without that fuel, you're not going to be doing very much. And when you are getting low on fuel, you are especially concerned. And I can imagine Bob Roberts is what he wrote to me in his email. He said, it seemed like uh, I really had to use a lot of power to push the thing along. <laughs> you know, he's, of course, very, very heavy, just a flying fuel tank. And he said, for the first half of the trip, it seemed like I was never going to have enough fuel to get there. And then the second part of the trip, it seemed like the, the, the plane was making fuel. You know, it just, he was watching and counting and watching the gallons an hour and so on. The scent of water. Coming to the scent of water idea. The scent of water creates life, doesn't it? Water creates life. You know, I was... Uh, working around our house in California. We, we moved there some years ago and, and we decided to put in some rose bushes. And we went and bought a bunch of rose bushes and put them all in, spaced them all apart nicely and, and watered them and put some fertilizer on them and took care of them and, and they all came up. They all started putting green things on them and green shoots and pretty soon they had uh, little branches and thorns and it wasn't long before we had roses on those, except for one. It didn't do anything. It just sat there and, and it was dead. I thought to myself after a, a few months, I said, well, we might as well take that one back to the store because they said of a guarantee. So let's take it back and we'll, we'll get another one. But then I got busy and another few weeks went by and, and I didn't get around to taking it back and we kept watering all of them. And one day I looked and guess what? There was a little bit of green on it. And that rose bush is just as healthy as all the rest of them. But what made the difference? The water, wasn't it? The scent of water. And when I think about this passage of Job, it seems to me that what Job is really saying to us is the scent of water makes all the difference for this stump. But I wonder... And I think maybe this is Job's sense of humor coming through. He's just made the case that there's no hope for man at all because, you know, you're, you're, as soon as you're born, you're already done. And yet there's more hope uh, for a tree. Could it be that he's really saying, guys, if there's hope for a tree, there is certainly hope for a person. Now, so a man and a woman who have the scent of water, even if you feel almost dead... There is hope. Even if everything has collapsed around you in your life, even if you're feeling like there is just no hope, there's no place to go, you're nearly dead, maybe you almost feel like an old dead stump in the ground. Maybe you think you're almost in the ground already. Almost dead, Job says, there is hope. Because with the scent of water, life comes. And I wonder if that's not what Job is saying here. He's telling you and he's telling me that no matter how difficult things are in, in your home, no matter how difficult things are in your business, your work, your health, your children, whatever it might be, Job says with the scent of water, there is hope. Life can come back again, even if it seems like there is no life. Now, what are we talking about, scent of water? 
Well, it's my view that the scent of water is having God in our lives. When God is in our lives, we've got the scent of water. We know that God is the the author of life, and we know that water is very important for life. We couldn't live very long without water, and neither can most things in nature live very long without water. Just like that rose bush in the ground, water, and finally it came back to life, we can come back to life even when we are feeling pretty low and pretty, pretty almost dead. The question, though, for all of us is, do we have the scent of water in our lives? Do our lives show that? You know, who are we when, when nobody else is watching? What kind of lives do we live? You know, I was spent a lot of years uh, growing up in uh, Iowa, farm country, pastored in North Dakota for quite some time as well. And I appreciated this story very much when the, the father and his young son decided to go next to the next farm and um, borrow some corn. Well, it was 2 o'clock in the morning, so you can probably imagine that that the owners of the corn didn't know that the neighbors were borrowing corn from them. And so the father is, of course, they're very quiet, and they've got the wheelbarrow there, and they're coming up to the, to the chute, the silo, and they're trying to be really quiet, and the father is looking everywhere. He's looking this way, looking that way, and, and, and then all of a sudden his son says, Dad, you forgot to look one place. Oh, where's that? Up. God sees everything, doesn't he? Whether it's day, whether it's light. And the question for us is, when we're to a place where we don't think anybody's watching us, then how do we behave? Do we still have the scent of water in our lives? We need the scent of water in our lives, don't we? Every day, all the time, for everything we do. You know, this Kodiak airplane that's, that's over there, it's going to bring the scent of water to places that, that wouldn't receive it otherwise. The other planes that are operating around the world are used to, to bring the scent of water to people's lives. That's what it's all about, sharing the scent of water, sharing saving grace with people around the world. Quiet Hour, it just happens, has helped to support 50-some airplanes over the years. It's a lot of airplanes. Some of them are still flying. Probably most of them have. Some they've run off the end of a runway somewhere, or they've just plain worn out, or you know, and other things have happened. But the scent of water. When we think about taking the scent of water to all corners of the world, it's a privilege that you and I have been given to be able to share God's saving grace with people all around us. The privilege of being able to have this scent of water, the scent of water that even if something is cut down, it will sprout again and grow new branches at the scent of water, it buds. When we think about some of the things that are going on around the world where the scent of water is truly being shared, it's going on everywhere, I think of Sudan, I think of Yemen. I think of, of all kinds of places. You know, Sudan has been in a, been in a, a, a very interesting transition. 
where they had a referendum. They waited five years for the referendum to vote whether they would become two countries or stay one. It was in uh, January, December, January this year that the decision was made overwhelmingly to become two countries. So Sudan is no longer the largest country in Africa because now it's North Sudan and South Sudan. But how does that affect what the scent of water is going on? Well, in Sudan, we have a lot of churches. But I want to tell you about one young man who, who lives in Sudan. He was instrumental in bringing a number of people to know Jesus. What happened in his life, it was during this long, long, long civil war time they've had for 40 or 50 years. They've been fighting and, and had all kinds of problems. But he, he came to understand last day message. He was looking for the second coming of Jesus, and he was so excited. He started sharing it with other people, and he had seven people ready to be baptized. His name is Carl. Now, what did Carl do? Carl said to these seven people, I need to go get a pastor to come here and baptize you. Well, that was pretty easy, right? Well, except that this is in southern Sudan, 250 kilometers from the nearest pastor. And it's during a war. It's when there's, there's fighters, rebel fighters everywhere. And, and when you travel through anywhere, you are in danger of running into problems. But that didn't deter him at all. Carl said, no, I'll go get a pastor. So he packed his things up and off he went. He just booked a ticket on the local airline, right? No. The local bus? No. The local road? No. There's nothing. He just had to go across the bush on these roads that were nearly impassable. And he had to avoid the roads because he didn't want to be discovered. So he walked for three and a half weeks to get to Uganda the neighboring country where he could bring a pastor. He went to the pastors and he said, we have, uh, we have uh, some people to be baptized. Would you, won't you come with me to, to South Sudan to baptize these people? And the pastor said, you've got to be kidding. It's dangerous there. You know, we can't go there. It's too dangerous. He said, well, I know it's dangerous, but it's not that bad. I just came from there. I made it okay. We can make it. Let's go. And they said, no, it's too dangerous. We can't go there. And Carlos came up empty-handed. He could not find a pastor who would come and baptize those people. Kind of a shame, isn't it? That somebody was not willing. And they had good reasons. They were in the middle of their class study program. And they were in the middle of this and that and the other thing. Or they were too, not well enough. But whatever. He went back disappointed. So he had to retrace his steps three and a half weeks, all the way back to South Sudan to tell these people that I'm so sorry, but I couldn't get anybody to come. Well, they thought for a moment and they said, well, that's really not such a big problem. If the pastors won't come to us, we'll go to the pastors. So Carlos and his seven converts, off they went. They took off through the jungle, on the sort of roads, and made their way three and a half weeks to where the pastors were. And there they were baptized. You know, they could have stayed there. 
They could have stayed there. They could have just taken it easy. They could have said, yeah, we're refugees from another country, and, and here's a camp, and everything will be taken care of for us. But they didn't. Why? Because they had the scent of water in their lives. They had the scent of water, and they said, no, we've got to go back. We need to take the message back. We've got things to do at home. And, and so they all stayed a little while and rested, and then they took off and, re- and started their journey back. But you know what? It took them much longer to get back than it had taken them to come down. Why? Because they had to stop in all the villages they came to and hold meetings. They ended up bringing more people to know the message as they were making their way home because they had the scent of water. You know, when you think about what God will do in your life, even if things are difficult. Now, we don't usually have things as difficult as those people there in Sudan. But no matter where we are, we need to recognize that having the scent of water gives us the privilege of sharing the scent of water with other people, bringing the water of life to other people. When you think about people who have made a difference in your life, think back to your teachers, your parents, your grandparents. Many of us can think of somebody who really profoundly influenced us. I had a teacher, such a teacher as that, in the Adventist education system where I was going to school. And she told us, in our class, in third grade or fourth grade, somewhere down there, that, that they had an organ bench in their home in the living room and that that was where she would come at 4 o'clock in the morning and pray for each of her students. She prayed for me back then in that grade school time. Who's, in, who's influenced you? Who's prayed for you? You know, I'm sure you could all tell a story of somebody who has influenced, who has prayed for you, who has, who has uh, made it such a difference in your life. You know, when we think about what God has called each of us to be and to do, he's called each of us to share this scent of water with everybody, all the people around us, wherever we are. You know, the, the, the chapels that are being made, the airplanes that are going out, the mission people who are going out, it's all about sharing saving grace. That's what we're here for. Why is this church here if it's not to share saving grace? If the church doesn't have the scent of water to share with other people around it, what is the reason for having a church? You know, I think that's why God put us here. In order to share living water, to share the scent of water with people around us. I had a friend one time who, he just got on the wrong track. And for some reason, he got on such a wrong track that he was uh, getting in, got into some crime, criminal activities, and he had to do jail time for that. I remember well, it was sort of a surprise to him when, when uh, he was stopped by the police, and the police said, well, where's your driver's license? Well, I don't have one right now. I lost it somewhere. And 
Before long, the policeman said, well, if you don't have an ID, I guess I'll have to take you into the police station. And it wasn't long, and they discovered that he had a very long rap sheet. And they took him and said, you have to do your jail time now. And he did. But the scent of water never left. I remember going to the prison, to the local prison, and said, you know, we were praying just recently that God would somehow solve some problems for you. He hadn't told me about these criminal things. And I said, it looks like God solved that for you, didn't he? Well, not exactly. I'm in prison now. That wasn't what I had in mind. I said, yeah, but you can get this behind you now, and you can do your time, and, and you can start a new life. Well, I didn't know if I'd ever see him again. I did go visit him because they took him off to another place to do his time. But a couple of years later, I got a call on Sabbath morning, and there was a phone person there at the other end of the line said, uh, is this Pastor Porter? Yes. And I said, is this Carl? And he said, yes. And he said, I'm just calling you from Florida to tell you that I was baptized this morning into the Adventist church. I just want to let you know that the scent of water is still alive and well, that somehow or another God wasn't done with me, that he, he stayed with me, and today I'm back with him, and that's where I plan to stay. It's our job, friends, to share the scent of water. That's the purpose of this church. That's the purpose of all of our lives, to make sure that we are sharing saving grace at all times. No matter how difficult things look, no matter how hard things get, we get to share the scent of water. The story that I shared with the children, one of our pastors, where God, they, there are so many miraculous things happened there in, in that part of the world during those very difficult years. Uh, there was a, there's a writer, Tolstoy and Dostoevsky, and some of these great writers would write their, their faith in in stories, and sometimes the authorities would try to let that go because that's that's literature, that's art. Oops. Sorry, and they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't stop them from writing those kind of things. But Dostoevsky was a, a scoundrel. He was uh, a rebel. He got into trouble, and finally he was sentenced to hard labor in Siberia for the rest of his life because of his crimes. But his his mother put a Bible inside of his bag that he found while he was riding on the train on his way to Siberia. And he read the Bible. He read it all the way through. He read it many times. And he discovered something in that Bible. But before he got sent on the train, something happened to him. He was sentenced to death. And they said, we're going to shoot you for your crimes. And they took him out to the wall, and the firing squad lined up, and they said, ready, aim, and then they didn't pull the triggers. It was, a, it was the idea of the commander's, the, the commander's idea of a bad joke. He didn't kill them. Instead, he sent them to Siberia. But on his way to Siberia, he discovered God's saving grace in God's word. Now, he had just had a pretty good illustration of it, hadn't he? 
He had discovered he was going to be killed. He was sentenced to be shot, but the sentence had been commuted, and he discovered then that Jesus did that for him. Amen? He did that for him, and he's done that for you and for me. Dostoevsky became a writer who, who had untold influence in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the, the good news that Jesus came and died for us so that we don't have to, the saving grace of God that came to this world. Coming back to this passage from Job 14. Again, it says, even a tree has more hope. If it is cut down, it will sprout again and grow new branches. Though its roots have grown old in the earth and its stump decays, at the scent of water, it will bud and sprout again like a new seedling. Maybe you're that stump today. And if you are, please take hope that the scent of water is yours and you will bud again. You will blossom. You will put on new branches and you will be God's child forever and ever. This is our story, Heavenly Father. Thank you for giving us this story and may this be our song every day, all day. Thank you so much for the scent of water in our lives. And may we truly be that sent to all those around us is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.